Welcome to the Mar Experience, Stories of Recovery. I'm Matt Shedd. When Amy's family told her she was going to treatment for 90 days, she thought her life was over. But after two weeks at Mar, the fog started to clear. She could tell she was in the right place. Before long, she felt like 90 days wasn't long enough, and she stayed for Mar's three-quarter program. To this day, she continues to lean on her Mar counselor and community members during difficult times. She even hires current MAR clients to work for her when they are in treatment here. Her story exemplifies the MAR principle of community for life. I was, I'm from a small town in South Georgia. I went to a small private school. And actually, I graduated salutatorian, so I went to UGA. Once I, I remember wanting, when I, when I got to college, to have that freedom, to not have, like, my mom telling me what to do and I could just do whatever. And um, that turned against me. <laughs> Um, and and so immediately, it t- I mean, it, it was already bad when I was a senior in high school. Like in terms of drinking or? Yes, my addiction. I was already, I mean, I was using drugs at 15. I mean, it was already, it was already bad. My school did um, random drug test my junior and senior year. And I failed the drug test um, and almost got kicked out. But I ended up staying at school, got into UGA, and I was in UGA for two and a half years. Um, I ended up flunking out. So I just couldn't I couldn't go to class. I wouldn't withdraw from classes. Just my life centered around, you know, drinking and getting high. And then um, so throughout, I stayed in Athens for seven years. And I continued to be around people that did the same things I did. And my addiction progressed in the types of drugs I was using and then how I use them and things that I thought I would never do. Um, you know, I would draw that line in the sand. I would compare myself to other people. Like I'm not as bad as that person because they do this. And I continually cross that line, you know, things I thought that I would never do. That's where my addiction took me. Um, and I, and I took from everyone, you know, I, my, of course, that's what addiction does. You know, we hurt the people that love us the most, that are the closest to us. And that's what I did. You know, I stole from my parents. I uh, stole from my grandmother. I pawned jewelry. I mean, it's just, it took everything. An education. I pledged a sorority. I dropped out of the sorority my freshman year. Um, so it just, I never really had a, you know, I had a six-month job here, a six-month job there. So just anything any kind of progression in my life, things that I wanted. You know, I wanted to be married. I wanted to have a family. I knew that, but I didn't know how to get it because drugs and alcohol was was the most important thing in my life. There was no doubt that my life was unmanageable. You know, I, I, I was 26. A lot of people that I had graduated high school with, they were married. They had graduated college. They were starting to have a family, and I just didn't know how I was going to get there, you know, Um I thought that I would eventually things would just happen for me and I would be able to stop. I would want to stop, um, not knowing that that wasn't, you know. Um, and I was actually in Athens yesterday and I had a memory because I lived in Athens for seven years. So a lot of my a lot of my drug history is there. And I passed this Publix and I remember I was telling my husband um, last night, I remember sitting in the Publix parking lot, of course, waiting for the drug dealer to come there. And I'm sitting facing the road, and I remember seeing all these people as they're coming to stop at the red light, and I would see their faces in the car, and they're singing or smiling or whatever. And I'm sitting there, and I thought, you know, they're just living their life. And I'm like chained, you know. And, and I remember having that thought when I passed it. I thought, God, you know, you have those memories that flood back. 
to that moment where it was just like, I can't, I'm not that free. Um, and they were just probably going to work or going to, who knows, going mm-hmm. to grocery shop. And here mm-hmm. I am just waiting to meet a drug dealer. It's all I can think about every single day. How can I get my next high? Even as unmanageable as my life was prior to going to Mar, my family really, I mean, my mom hadn't seen me in like two weeks. She was like, you know, we've got a rehab set up for you. I was like, okay, I'll go for two weeks. Uh, so what, how, how'd you end up getting convinced so, to come to Mar? Well, uh so my mother found me at somebody's house, and she, um, my cousin had it lined up. My cousin's, um, my mom's other cousin, she had came to Mar, I think, back in the 80s. Um, so that's how he knew about Mar. He had, this cousin is also in the programs. And so um, she picked me up. She talked to him on the phone. He was like, do not let her. She's going today. I don't care what she says. So I went to de- we went to detox first. So I went there. I was there for six days, and then, um, you know, I remember this other woman came with my mom to take me to admissions before I went to Mar, and she was like, "Who wouldn't want to go away for three months just to go work on themselves?" Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of how I tried to look at it because it took a little bit of time at first to think about. Okay, I'll never. I wanted to to let go of the drugs, but I wasn't sure I wanted to quit drinking yet. Mm-hmm. So I had to um, realize by doing the step work that I'm an alcoholic. It's it's the best thing that ever happened to me. And, of course, at the time when I thought I had to go away for 90 days, it seemed like the end of the world. Do you remember, like, your first day there and, and kind of what was going Gosh. on? Yes, I do remember. So they have, like, a community meeting at 3.30. So when I got there... After doing admissions or whatever, when I got there, I come in to their community meeting with like seven women in there with one of the counselors. So I had no idea. I mean, I was just super nervous. Um, Some of them were smiling and having fun. And I'm just scared, you know, just super scared, not knowing what to expect. Because when I was in detox, I had no idea what this place was going to look like. Um, Because I thought it was going to be comparable to detox, which is like a hospital room. Um, And it's not, I mean, you're in townhomes, you have this, you have your room, you share with another girl. But it was a lot nicer and better than I could have imagined. So, yeah, just super scared. Um, Someone, you know, one of the, whoever was kind of, people who had more time in the 90 days that were in the apartment, they kind of helped you figure out what you were supposed to do. Like, hey, tomorrow we'll do this. We go to the center. So you had people to help you to let you know what was going to happen. And then it was just about, you know, when you you go to feeling school during the week and you have process groups, you do step work, different things to learn how to talk about shame. You have shame groups. Mm-hmm. and I, I guess one of the things I wanted to ask you about, like, was there a time that you remember where things kind of started to shift like – Oh wait, this might actually start. This might actually work for me. By two weeks, I'm I'm almost positive you have already done a very thorough first step at Mar, and you write tons of examples of times where um, how your life how how you're powerless over alcohol and drugs, and then how your life was unmanageable. For me, that solidified for me. I was supposed to be where I'm at. I've got a problem, and I cannot stop on my own. And that was for me the first time to ever. You know, you, we can be in denial and just be like, oh, that wasn't that bad because it was last month or whatever. But when you put it on paper and you look at these examples, and I remember Courtney telling me you want to do it like a like a shot in a movie. That's how you want to write your example. So you can almost envision that if you need to go back and remember, 
you know, why you're supposed to be here, you can read that first step and you can look at those snippets and remember, oh yeah, this is it. Mm-hmm. But for me, that solidified, okay, I'm, I'm where I'm supposed to be because I really got to see there was no denying it. This is, this is who I am and these are the things that I've done. And so for me, that solidified it. So I would say in two weeks, it doesn't mean that, of course, there were not times that I still wanted to push the envelope mm. or, you know, push against some of the rules, but I knew that I was in the right place. And from there, continuing to do the steps, continuing to be honest and talk about my feelings um, in the groups, I started to not obsess and just be in my head so much. And I started to be able to, I mean, I remember the first time I laughed again, I had not laughed. Mm. I mean, I was so angry. So I just, you know, the girls that I saw when I first came into that community meeting, there were some of them laughing and having fun. And I remember that first time, you know, where, and we did cool stuff at Mar. There was a time we went to the aquarium when I was there. We did, um, we went to a Braves game. So there was fun things that we did too. And that Mm -hmm. was, that's super important in sobriety is learning how to have fun in in sobriety without using drugs and alcohol. And now I go to show, I mean, I go to concerts, football games, baseball games. I mean, all kinds of stuff. Go on vacation and don't have to drink. So would would you say that community aspect of it was pretty crucial for you in terms of getting out of your head and getting out of the obsessive? That was everything. Absolutely. Because you, that's the great thing about recovery residences is when I, when you're in process group, there's a therapist there. When you go back to the townhomes, you still, you still get to talk about stuff. There's the, the, the best part about it, you after the first 30 days, you start to go into job phase. Like I said, I really had had two six-month jobs ever. Oh, and, and like ever I, in your life? Ever in my life. Mm-hmm. I'm 26 years old. So, of course, thinking about like applying for a job or going for an interview scared the shit out of me. So I um, – but you have those people that have done it before you. Um, so it just – the the therapy doesn't stop. I mean, I, that's why they call it a therapeutic community. When you come back to the apartments – You know, we all have stuff, whatever it is, you know, having, you know, being on a phone call with your dad and that just like takes you for a tailspin and you're back in that angry place or you feel shame about all the stuff and you're trying to work through that. But, you know, you can talk about it right there with somebody. So Mm. you just constantly have you have help. You're not alone. You don't have to experience those feelings as long as you're open and honest and willing to share that with someone then you can get through it. So that was the biggest thing. It just the therapy continued even in the community because you had someone to constantly be there. And we were all talking about our feelings anyway. Yeah. So Yeah, that's a great point. You don't have to wait till the next day yeah, for a group. To or, hang on to that, which right. could potentially, you know, make someone want to go drink. Yeah. I mean, I remember a phone conversation that I had with my dad and here I am. I I already feel the shame and guilt. Once I've got sober, I'm dealing with all these feelings that I've never experienced. I've been numbing those out. I I knew how horrible I was to everyone. And so I've been carrying those feelings. And then now to take away what was my coping mechanism, and I don't know what to do with all this stuff. So I already felt that. I already felt horrible about myself. You know, zero self-confidence, zero self-esteem. And then to have a conversation and, you know, blame me for all this stuff. And it was just like, I already feel about myself, you know, Mm -hmm. and about my life and where I am. So it was just 
than to be able to get off that phone conversation and be upset and have somebody to talk to. You know, that don't have to, I have something to do with those feelings. I can get it out and I don't have to go pick up a drink. So as you're going through the 90 days, are you resistant to the idea of staying for the aftercare for the three quarters? No, I was pretty early on. That's what I'm saying. I think once it solidified for me, probably in two weeks, I mean, I would say at like 45 days, I was saying, I want to go to three quarters. Okay. Now, mind you, I really didn't, I knew that moving back to South Georgia was no option to me. I didn't have a job prior to coming in. It wasn't, I didn't have a significant other. So I needed, I didn't have a place to go. I needed them to, to be able to go to three quarters. But um, so, and I did get a job, you know, I had the help to do a resume, to talk about going on interviews, come, you know, working in sobriety, something I had never done, you know, when I would come home at night from work, you have those people there to talk about your day, all the stuff that you're going to experience to go into three quarters. Now you start where your 90 days is paid for. Now you start paying your, you start paying bills, you have your job. You, you know, I got a home group. So now you really, it's just the next step up before you're just out in the real world on your own. So you start to learn the tools. Okay. How to manage my money, showing up for work without somebody making me go. Um, so three quarters, I mean, anybody that was coming in behind me, I'm like, you have to go to three quarters. It was just, I just don't. So what I thought two weeks was enough. I felt like 90 days wasn't enough. Um, in three quarters, you still do like we have a we still do the aftercare. There's a couple, uh-huh. not as many groups, but you still have a community meeting once a week. You still go to individual therapy once a week. Still, so you have a little more freedom once you get into three quarters. Was that a scary transition going from halfway to three quarters? Yes, I felt like when I went to three quarters, I felt like all the girls at three quarters just had it figured out. You know, I mean, it would be like if you're in eighth grade and you're going into high school. Right. That's what it's yeah. like. It's that feeling. <laughs> Whereas, like, these guys have it figured out. They have jobs. That, I mean, yeah. They're paying bills. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. I'm just like, so that first kind of feeling that you have when you get into halfway, mm-hmm. you experience it again. And uh-huh. I would think of it as like when you go into high school, but it passes within a week. It's just you you have formed such close relationships with the people in your apartment so when you move across the street into your new townhome, mm-hmm. you know, now you're living with new women again. So yeah. it was just a matter of forming those relationships. But they're, it's not – it's your own fear. It's not that they're not welcoming because mm-hmm. same thing when you get over there. They take you under your wing, you know, show you kind of – help you along the way. So so how old are you at that point around? So it's 27. I turned 27 in Mar in February of 2012. Um, I got offered – this the job that I got as my recovery job, mm-hmm. so to speak, ended up turning into my career. I still work for that company. Oh, okay. Yes, right. and so um, I, I got I got the job offer to become manager, and I processed it with my therapist. I processed it with the community. What does this look like for me to leave Mar? It was really important for me to leave successfully. So I let my company know, hey, I have to do, you know, a few things. I need to go. I needed to go to Macon to set up a home group, get a new sponsor. So I took some time to do that prior to making the move. But um, I just then it was on me, and I really compared everything to Gwinnett, and you know, I miss my friends. I mean, just everything. Like the meetings were different, and so I just compared a lot. I kind of held on to 
every other week I was going to get back to Gwinnett and have three days with my friends and I would go to therapy and I just stopped working a program there. I see. I needed to form a new network and I didn't do that. And so that every other week was not enough. And then I started talking to my ex and it spiraled from there. When I decided I was going to take the first drink, I remember telling myself, I'll go pick up a white chip tomorrow. And I really believed that. Uh, because I had not been going to meetings, I forgot where they talk about the obsession and the allergy. So I knew once I put that first drink in my body, um, the next day, instead of going to pick up a white chip, I thought about going to get another drink. And I had so much shame and guilt that I had that I had just thrown away this gift of sobriety that I felt like God had given me and this, ch- this second chance at life I had. And so then I had to continue to drink. And that lasted for seven months. And I ended up in the hospital surgery on my arm after a blackout, doing drugs. And then, um, I mean, I had a pick IV in my other arm where I had to have IV antibiotics for two weeks. I mean, it was horrible. And I really know when I went to the emergency room that night, I thought no one knew where I was. I took myself to the emergency room. I called my mom the next morning, but I thought I was going to die alone. And that for me was, it wasn't my mom taking me to treatment, but that was the scariest place to be. This is something that's huge to my story. Courtney, when I started at Mar, I was, you have the first, I guess the the first 30 days mm-hmm. where you have several day treatment counselors in process groups um, throughout the day in feeling school. Mm-hmm. And then after I think 30 days, you get to pick which therapist you want. And so Courtney was the one I chose. Um, I needed somebody that was going to give it to me straight, that I couldn't push over. I was a little rough around the edges mm-hmm. back then. And um, and so she has just been everything to my sobriety. And so twice during my relapse, I was, I was out for seven months. And twice during my relapse, I remembered she had said when I was visiting from Macon, I was, she knew I was struggling already. And um, when I, she had told me no matter what, you know, if I got back with my ex, if I relapsed, that she would be there for me. And that was something that was new for me to know that like I wasn't going to be abandoning, you know, that I couldn't, I couldn't disappoint her enough to turn her back on me. Um, and that was everything. So during my relapse, there were twice that I went to therapy sessions. And um, in December of 2012, I went to see her. And this was a month before I ended up in the hospital. And so she, I went to see her and I just, because anyone else I was lying to. I was like, it's been two weeks since I had used, um, which was not the case. It was every day, all day. And so um, I needed to tell somebody just how bad it was. So I went to her and I was like, I think I can, you know, the disease is that, you know, cunning and baffling where I thought I can, you know, I told her, I said, I think I was being successful at work, which was crazy. I was making a lot of money. I said, I think I can control it. And I was using IV drugs. So it's like, there's, that doesn't even make sense, you know, that I'm saying those two things in the same sentence. But she said, um, so why are you here? And I said, because I'm lonely and miserable. So I told her that I wanted January 1st, my New Year's resolution was going to be to get sober again. And she said, um, your disease is going to progress because you're giving yourself a timeline and it's going to get worse. And then I ended up in the hospital and I called her when I got out and I was in the hospital for six days and had to have surgery on my arm. And she said, um, I said, you were right. <laughs> but um, but the biggest thing was that I was able to go to somebody and let them know just how bad it was. Um, when I couldn't tell anyone else. She was the person that I told that I went to. Um, And so then I continued. She was just there for me then. You know, when I came back in, I went to therapy. I started going to therapy every week again. And so I just think, Mar, 
you know, they, Mar laid the foundation for me. So I knew, you know, it introduced me to AA, but it also, we had this network of people that you come in with. So you kind of, you know, when it's hard to get sober on your own as is. And if you just go into AA, you have to really be aggressive about like asking people for phone numbers and getting a sponsor. And when you have that group of women that are walking that same path at the same time, especially like alumni or even someone that has six months ahead of you, maybe in three quarters, they'll kind of lead you in the direction and help you say, hey, you know, ask her to be your sponsor. You need to get phone numbers. Um, Of course, it's on yourself to call those women, but you have those people to help you because you're scared. You know, you're scared to go up and ask people. It's just awkward. And so everything's new and scary. And so you have that immediate support in the recovery residences. And of course, you have all these women, different ages that are going to push your buttons on different things because you're not used to living with people and probably not used to hanging out with a lot of women. Um, but you ha- you do form those lifelong friendships. All of my fr- my closest friends now, my best friend, she came in, she celebrates nine years in October. Um, she went through Mar. She she was there for me, you know, through my relapse. I had to go to 90 meetings in 90 days after, you know, I came back into the program. She would go to meetings with me. Mm. Um, and that's alumni. You know, we had our little, what we called bridge club. Every Friday night we would play spades. You know, that's just, so there's things that we, you know, we continue to do. We, tr- we vacation together now. Um, but you have that built-in support system and and form lifelong friendships. Yeah, it wasn't like you were starting from scratch, even though you relapsed. Yeah, you, you they had didn't that... turn their back on yeah, me. Right. I didn't even, you know, I knew because of what Courtney said that she would not turn her back on me, mm. you know, no matter what. Because I was like nervous to tell her that I had started talking to my ex again because we'd done all this work on like he was not good for me. It was a toxic relationship. And she said, listen, if you get back with him, if you relapse, I'm going to be here. And that was everything to me. So I knew I can go back to Courtney, going to be okay, you know? And that was because I, I wasn't sure if my family was going to yeah, turn yeah, their back yeah, on right, me. Right. So during my relapse, when I went to see her, I knew I could be completely honest. This is where I'm at. What do I need to do? So then you ended up getting... Uh, going to the hospital and then getting back into recovery. When was that? So my sobriety date is January 24th, 2013. So I did aftercare for probably a year. The first year, I probably saw Courtney every single week still because now I had a whole lot of more stuff that I needed to yeah. to work on. Um, but then after that, I, tr- I probably dropped to like every other week. And then now for probably the past four years, I would say I just go as needed. Mm-hmm. You know, I had... A friend pass away, gosh, like three or four years ago. And that was a lot for me, you know. Um, so I go to see Courtney. Mm-hmm. You know, I just, whenever I need something, I call and set up an appointment. When I was in the first trimester of being pregnant, you know, I have a family now. And so the first trimester, I was crazy <laughs> hormonal and being sober. So I had all these like crazy feelings I didn't know how to deal with. And was losing my mind, and I went to see Courtney. So it's just like Mara is always my home, and I still participate in alumni stuff and um, when I can, when my job allows, because I do work weekends. And I've had I've had girls in Mar that that, become, that came after me because I manage I still manage um, the location in Gwinnett now, and if they're interested in sales, I'll give them a job. I'll oh, give wow. them a shot. So I've had. I've had several people in the program work for me as well as um, several girls in MAR 
And, you know, there's a girl right now that's in, um, she just moved out of three quarters and she worked for me for maybe six months and she's an awesome friend. She joined my home group now and we've done game night recently. So I still have those, even with people that are in Mar right now. So it's kind of come full circle. Because sure. <laughs> that was, you know, the alumni that were already out then, we would do events and, you know, they really had it together because they've moved out yeah, now. Yeah, right. So they were having fun and just like living their life and having fun in sobriety. And that's what attracted me. We would play volleyball. We would do game nights, karaoke. I mean, all kinds of fun stuff. So we still do. I mean, there's a group of us that still does karaoke. But even, mm-hmm. um, I mean, we still do game night. But there's uh, another girl who's in the program, and being a, she has she just had her second child, mm. and so for me, she's my number one person that I go to about being a mom. Probably more so than my immediate family, I turn to people in the program because they know what it's like um, to be a wife in sobriety, to be a mom in sobriety. So those are the people that I turn to, and those those connections I made in Mar, those are the people that I rely on. Can you imagine being a being a wife and a mother uh, before. Oh, God, no. <laughs> how, how has it helped you, I guess? Prior to getting, can I imagine it prior to getting sober? Yeah, right. Absolutely not. Um, I cannot, everything, I, I put everything, addiction came first over my family, over, you know, I wouldn't show up for Mother's Day. I remember being hungover for a Thanksgiving at my grandma's and sleeping through the whole thing or yeah, just, you know, completely sick, couldn't even participate in Thanksgiving. So everything that was came before everything. And that would be no different if I had a husband or a child. And that breaks my heart today because I have that and I can't imagine. So, you know, I had plenty to lose prior um, to getting sober before I ever got sober. But now all the gifts that I've gotten from sobriety, the promises have come true in my life. And I can't imagine, you know, I have to be very diligent about my program because I have more to lose. And and I know that addiction took everything for me and that I'll lose that. And I'm not uh, I'm not willing to do that. So I have to, you know, make sure that I stay super close to my network, to my home group, be of service. I just told my story a week ago um, at a birthday meeting. So just when somebody asks me, I need to show up and I still have to make that a priority to to go to meetings and be of service so that I don't lose the things that I treasure most. How's your relationship with your family now that you're... Oh, amazing. My family is super supportive. I'm very open book, um, and they obviously knew everything that was going on. Mm -hmm. Um, I took a lot from them and was not very good at hiding it. So um, they just are so proud of me. You know, I was able to make amends to my family, and they... They feel like I'm living the life that God had set out for me. Yeah. And that's just um, – and, and my family is forever grateful to Mar because it changed my life. It changed my life. And, and I don't – I can't – I don't know if I had gone anywhere else if that would have happened. You know, I don't believe that an outpatient would have been enough for me. Um, I needed to be somewhere with a lot of structure and a lot of guidance because I did not know – I didn't know what the next step was. I needed someone to tell me, mm. you know, whether it was the women in the recovery residences or the counselors at Mar. I needed someone to help me. I had no idea. When you're living with people, they can call you on your. 
They see you all the time yeah. in group. And then when you get back to the apartments, you know, if you're not being truthful and honest, they mm. know. If you're not, if they know, like if you haven't called your sponsor or you didn't go to a meeting, they can call you on it. And it could be the thing that saves your life. I've seen people go back out and then not make it back in. And so it's it's the best thing that ever happened to me. So what would you say to family members who are who are kind of in that that space of trying to find treatment for somebody, but they're resistant and... Yeah, I would have never signed myself up. I'm not... I don't know that any drug addict in active addiction, they can't make, for the most part... Now, I'm... Of course, some people get to their own bottom and reach out for help. Um, I was not one of those people. So I was never going to be like, yes, sign me up for that. I need help. I don't... I mean, I don't know that I would have. Um, I don't know that I would have been able... I mean, I was so bad off before I got to Mar that I don't know that I would have made it. I don't know that I would have made it long enough without dying to even ask for help. And that's the problem is like as a family, if if it's if it's there and you have a child that's an addict, it's to I mean you have to intervene. Of course for them to, you know, of course for the person to be able to want to stay sober, they have to be willing. But I didn't get willing until you know, a couple weeks after being in treatment, mm-hmm. you know. They they forced me to come. I needed the fog to clear. I needed to be pulled away from the environment that I was in, being around the people that I was in. And then when I was in that recovery residence, then I finally started to be like, okay, I need to be here. Mm-hmm. But it took a couple weeks for me to realize this is where I need to be, and mm-hmm. I was okay. I needed to be intervened on, um, and I'm so grateful. And, of course, I have relapse in my story. And and that can happen, but at least I had the foundation at Mar where I knew where to go um, to get the help to get back sober. So what would you say to somebody who's thinking like you were thinking like, oh, 90 days, that's too that's too much. I I don't know if I can Sure. Yeah. What would um, you say to that? It is just a I mean, it seems like nothing. You know, now I have almost six years sober, so it's like those ninety days was it was nothing. It's just the smallest little piece of your life that you could get everything. You know, I said I wanted a family. I wanted whatever the things that you want out of life that you haven't been able to get because of your addiction. That 90 days is not going to hold you back from getting it. You know, it's just going to be the thing that kind of lays the foundation for you to be able to have the things that you want in life and to be happy and free. Mm-hmm. That was the thing. It's just like I was, you know, just miserable and lonely and isolated. And, you know, I have, I have a life today. Mm-hmm. I don't have to, I don't, I don't obsess about a drink. Mm-hmm. I don't even think about it. And that, is, that blows my mind that yeah. that's my life. That's not who I am today. Um, and it's, it, it is so awesome to do that something like this or to tell my story because it had been about two years. And I just told my story the other night and I thought, um, and I, I shared about Mar and how that really changed my life. And, um, it just, I can't even, I can't even imagine, you mm-hmm. know, um, when I tell my story to think when I, when I'm talking about who I was, what it was like for me prior to getting sober, it's hard to wrap my head around it because now I've had some time in sobriety and all these wonderful things happen to not be able to think about a drink yeah. every single second of the day and how I'm going to get it and how I'm going to manipulate to get money or how I'm going to have to hide it or lie to my family so they don't know exactly what I'm doing. I just, I'm, my my thoughts are free. 
So what would you pass on to people that are listening if you could pass on one thing? I think the biggest thing is just like to to keep coming back. Like if you're struggling with addiction, you know, I know it, it wasn't my experience that I had been to several rehabs, but I know a lot of people, I have a relapse in my story and a lot of people have experienced multiple relapses where they've tried to stop. And I think um, the recovery residence at Mar is where, you know, it was a huge part of my story and that's what helped me get and stay sober. So I would say for anyone listening, you know, to give it a shot, that's what, um, it. you know, they're probably, you know, family members are not going to be like, yes, I'm so excited. But it's it's life-changing. It is the relationships that you form. You know, Courtney is still my therapist that I see when I need her. Um, the the relationships that I've formed in the recovery residences, they came to Mexico with me for my wedding. So those are lifelong friendships that I've formed. We get to walk the same path at life. We experience the same thing. And we know the struggles that we've been through and that will continue that will t- continue to come up in sobriety. Mm-hmm. Um, things that we've never faced before, we get to experience those things together as sober people in recovery. And that's what Mar, that's what Mar gave me. Thank you so much, Amy. Thank you so much, I appreciate, I appreciate it. Yeah, this is great. So that's our show. Thanks for listening to the Mar Experience Stories of Recovery. I'm Matt Shedd. Our executive producer is David Tate. We have more podcast episodes, articles, and videos on our website at marinc.org. That's M-A-R-R-I-N-C dot O-R-G. If you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at podcast at marinc.org. And if you enjoyed the show, you can help us reach a wider audience by rating and reviewing us on iTunes. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you next time.